The file you are listening to is an audio commentary by some of the Starship Excelsior production staff, not a real episode. We regularly produce this kind of bonus content, but we only include the most recent one in our official feed. If you want to hear the others, visit starshipexcelsior.com, click Episodes, and scroll down to Behind the Scenes. It's not paywalled or anything, we just don't like the clutter. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! Hello everyone, Mike Hennessy, co-producer of Starship Excelsior, along with James Haney, who is the executive producer of Hello. Starship Excelsior. James, welcome. It's good to have you here, and it's going to be fun to go through this episode. Always a pleasure, Mike. Yep. Yeah, it's a long one. Yeah, it is. It's our first real marathon effort. This is a, this one runs a total of about 98 minutes, and I, th- I would say... Uh, it is the conclusion of season one, uh, and really, season one is kind of kind of a shakedown cruise for the entire entire project. I think is a fair mm-hmm. way to put it, um, because we really learned a lot of hard lessons, and of course had a lot of fun along the way learning them. Sure did but uh, you know some of the things that. Some of the things worked. Some of the things didn't quite work. And we started to incorporate those changes in season two, which I think will be pretty obvious. Um, as a matter of fact, I think – isn't this the last appearance of the narrator as a uh, – It is. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, as a regular going concern, giving interjections in the middle of the show, this is it. This is the last one. Yeah, and that's, that's. I think I even realized towards the end of the script this wasn't working anymore. Um, yeah. but yeah, he's got a few good ones. Yeah, there was some. There was actually some some of the better lines in there that the narrator actually had. Yeah, um, but it was just one of those things where really it complicated the production, and, and it's one of those things where um, really I think I think we realized collectively all of us that that the best way to go was to to do the things the narrator had been doing through exposition from the characters. And yeah. um, it's it's really something that I had thought of. If you listen to a episode of, say, Star Trek The Next Generation without um, watching, you know, just if you just listen to the soundtrack as opposed to watching it at the same time, you'll see that there's really very little that you miss um, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, really... Uh, where once in a while they'll say, look at that, and you don't know what they're looking at or something like that. But still, uh, it just doesn't happen that often. And uh, and so uh, enjoy the narrator while he lasts. Um, he steps on a banana peel or goes through an open airlock or something. <laughs> something happens. It's a job to in the Delta Lounge, I think. Yeah. Maybe. We, end up, we hear him singing there occasionally. <laughs> yeah, that does happen. And uh, so at any rate, uh, the episode is down the rabbit hole. And we really pick up a lot of threads. And, and there were several. It's been a long time since I listened to this episode. And I'd really forgotten just how complex the episode really is. And uh, this, of course— Oh, did you listen to it recently? Yes, I did. I listened to oh, it today. Oh, smart. And uh, I was very— I'm going to this blind. <laughs> yeah, and I was really impressed with the performance of our two uh, two uh, Valandrian heroes, uh, uh, characters, not necessarily heroes, but veteran Han Sora G. Yeah. Uh, Joyce Bender and Kennedy, who would later become a regular, and yep. and Joyce Bender has done wonderful work for us in in a number of different roles and different episodes. Uh, yep. But uh, the uh, the 
performances, I think, are are really very good, and uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, to to be reviewing these. So what I'm going to do here is in a moment. Uh, I'm going to give a give a brief countdown, and we'll count down from three. Hit start, and we'll be ready to roll. Okay, okay we can comment on the con- continuity error in the first three seconds. Uh, yep, in three, yeah. two, and one. And it was a very quick, very quick intro. In there we go. Yep, and there's the error. And he says. 2384, and the year is 2382. I, to this day, have no idea what happened there. I just know that I, after that, uh, decided I need to start the timeline file, and I've ever since I've kept a file on my computer that says, here's the date of every single thing that's ever happened in Excelsior. Um, because I can't just drop the wrong year into an episode ever again. <laughs> And yeah. for the most part, it's worked. I think we've made two more big mistakes about dates in the years since then. But uh, that was the obvious one. Yeah. I always wanted to use this um, music for a recap, but I never had an excuse. They used this... this they used this exact soundtrack in... Um, like the second episode of Star Trek, the Section 31 files at Darker Projects. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was when I first heard it, because I'd never seen Battlestar Galactica, any of that. And it haunted me. I looked for months to find this soundtrack, and finally I did. And I was like, oh, this is great. I need to buy the whole album and then get really obsessed with sound effect music. And just, I fell into soundtracks in part because of that track. There is only one place and that helped get me into audio drama. I have to admit, I really like Yeah, Darker Projects is an outstanding pro- uh, production. Yeah. She believes she's the only one who knows of them, but she is sadly mistaken. Yes. I had hoped we would not yeah. have... Yeah. Anyway, what are they doing? Did our friend, did our friend the Brigadier show up in this one? I don't think he did. I think he's dead? Yeah, they killed him. Somebody killed him. Or what's the kill him later on in this episode? I don't remember. Yeah. He ends up dead. Spoilers if you haven't heard the episode. Yeah. Code wildfire. Yeah. Code wildfire. This is not a bad recap. It's too long of a recap. Recap shouldn't be longer than a minute. I know this now. Unless you're doing something really funny, like in The Man from Syracuse. Yeah, but, The Man uh, from Syracuse has This is put purpose. together well. Yeah, this, this, we're starting to show some signs of really beginning to know what we were doing as far as post-production here. And this is, this is one of those things where from the beginning of our pilot episode to this episode, there's a great deal of difference. And we start seeing... Uh, a real improvement in the quality of the recordings that everybody is sending in yep. because everybody starts getting a better idea of what what sounds good and what doesn't. In, in my memory, and I hope that it's borne out now that I'm listening to it again, my memory of this episode is is this is the first good episode of Excelsior. Um, like this is a, this is a show I like listening to and I don't cringe too much during it and I, I think it actually holds together, but we'll see. I haven't listened to it and. A couple years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's no slight against the first three episodes of Excelsior. They all have their, their, you know, pros and cons and their merits, and we had a lot of fun making them. But this is where I was like, oh, okay. We're starting to come together. We know we know how to tell a story, and we know how to present it in a good way. Mm-hmm. And it really starting to feel like it's a real show. 
Yeah, and, and uh, Dovin is starting to come into his come into his own here as well. <laughs> yes, Larry is starting to negotiate with my dialogue, and my dialogue is starting to negotiate with Larry. It took us a while to circle around each other and figure out each other. But we got there, and now it's impossible to imagine Larry with or Alcar without Larry. Yeah, this is this is a. He plays well off of off of Joyce in this scene as well. It's it's one of these things. One of the things that Larry does very well is he he has the ability to play off of other characters, and it shows up shows up very strongly in other in other areas too. But he he really you really do get the feeling he is there in the room with that with the particular characters he is playing off of. And it's not an easy thing to do. He's always, I think, one of the more likely cast members to reach out to somebody and say, "Hey, we should, we should record this important scene together, mm-hmm. or at least rehearse it together, but, uh, so we see how it's going." Mm-hmm. And that uh, is good leadership. They always say that uh, a show is defined, a Star Trek show is defined by its captain, and who that captain is behind the behind the camera. And I think uh, Larry is a great leader for Excelsior. Mm-hmm. He sets a good example for everybody. Sound battle stations. Yes. Okay. And of course, we got our got our battle scenes here. Oh yeah, we're five minutes in now. Um, yeah, it's, not good. It's, still, it's still a good recap, but it's so bloody long. It's yeah. like yeah, it's like watching a Star Trek Discovery captain's log. Yeah. Zing. Yeah. I did. I did like did like the line from from Yabari there. You know, be a hero on your own time. Which, yeah. You know, this is the most decorated non-captain. <laughs> yeah, in the in the in Starfleet, and and she's reminding him, you know, you're, this is not the time to be playing hero, hero. She takes no crap from yeah. anybody. Yeah. yeah, I know that annoys some people. I I like it. I well, like you, Bari. Yeah, I do too. And uh, she plays a very necessary role, uh, especially in this episode. Yeah, especially with these characters. I mean, these characters just so. Stupid sometimes. Yuberi <laughs> uh, can call him on it. And now the conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So they're beaming down to this, uh, to these cave system. Yeah. All right. A little creepy Doctor Who stuff in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Because I. All I could think of the first time I heard some of these things was Daleks. Daleks. Yeah, Daleks. This was the first time I think I handed somebody a tough set of sounds, like sound nauseated folks, and they delivered it and it worked. They were getting it. I had figured out how to write it. Like instead of just saying makes a nauseated noise, I think I said for the first time. Give us 45 seconds of nauseated noises and let the post-producer clip it down. And the post-producer clipped it down correctly. Mm-hmm. And this more or less works. I mean, you can tell she's vomiting. Yeah. Um, Easy now. And we had trouble with that in the first few episodes. Well, it's those little things that build the verisimilitude. Well, I, th- I think this marks a landmark for, for the entire Star Trek universe because I don't think we've ever heard a character barf before. Hoshi <laughs> Sato throws up in... Um, Season four, okay. Observer effect. I can't remember the episode number. Okay. I used to know all the Enterprise episode numbers because that's the kind of weirdo I am. Okay. 
that's also the only time in Enterprise when you see a toilet. And I think it's the second time in all of Star Trek you see a toilet. Maybe the third. Um, I remember this because I edited a lot of the Memory Alpha toilet page. Um, <laughs> If you well, want to know fun fact about me. Yeah. You brought a palm beacon. <laughs> yes. Sure, I picked one up when we passed the weapons locker well, on our stroll down to the transporter. Uh, he's in there, you bring. No need to yeah, get back to off, me. baby. <laughs> yeah. Then we're going to have to use our tricorders till we can fashion a torch. Yeah. Fashion a torch? Fashion Why is he British? That's a British thing. I was oh, watching too much British TV at this time. Scan of this place. Yeah. I'm going to start up a mapping protocol. Well, I've, when it comes to things like accents or those kinds of idioms, to me, it's just a matter of saying, you know, hey, who knows what the accents are going to be three, four hundred years down the road. You know, it's the 24th century. Yeah. Roll with it. And, you know, this season was particularly the first season was not shy about just. That's doing stuff and seeing how it worked, which is really important for this season. And it's not just this, like, there's a lot of meme jokes in here. There's um, uh, uh, a lot of references to other sci-fi. Um, we kind of stopped doing that once the show seemed to started to come together and felt a little bit more serious. Um, but this first season, we, were, we just really had a lot of fun being like, yeah, we're doing the Great Prophets of Arquan. And yeah, that's from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, and then, well, I like that previous line where, where Dovan says, yeah, I actually do read mission reports, but don't tell anybody, <laughs> which which is which is a lift from James Bond because, you know, he always comes in there and he's, you know, been romancing some beautiful woman and now boozing it up or partying or whatever. And it's like, and he's the guy who always is right on it whenever they start talking about well, I suppose you don't know about this guy. Oh, yeah, this guy, he's a blah, 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 blah. And leave some some slimy bureaucrat quivering and quivering heap in there on the floor because he's just, he's on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was a I have no idea what that means. Yeah. Same. Yeah, the first time we acknowledged Tech the Battle. Yeah, and that was, which I think is a nice little nod and wink there. Yeah. Well, it always just annoyed me when Voyager, particularly Voyager, I mean, all the Star Treks do this occasionally, but Voyager particularly could get really way up its own butt about Technobabble and trying to make me take it seriously. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, at a certain point, you're just making it up. Let's admit that. Yeah. Let's, let's have the less scientific characters be like, they're just about nonsense, right? That was a great line from if anybody's among the audience has ever seen uh, the Tresaurian intersection, that great. uh, uh, I still haven't finished that. That's my shame. That is a great film production, uh, video production, and it's one of those things where uh, the first officer rattles off a long string of like calculus or something like that, and the captain just looks at her and goes, Yeah, right. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of the same same idea there. And finally she breaks down and kind of explains it more or less plain English. Ah, yeah, here comes here comes the Dalek. This is a really well done probe. Yeah, I which whichever you made this. Good job. I did. I, did. I, I made that one, I think. I, you I did think this. I, well I think played. I get credit for that one. Is, that it really uh, Let's get out you know, because there were just 
so many, so many things. I mean, it's like, you know, it's got a buzz saw on it. It's got a, and it's like, oh, okay, well, let's throw this in here and see if that, that works. You know, it's like, throw that in there. Okay, you know, it's, you know, we don't. Yeah, I mean, the description I gave you in the script is not, the description for that robot guard, everyone, says it looks and maybe sounds more or less like the Imperial interrogation droid from the original Star Wars movie. One meter spherical black and pockmarked with assorted dangerous looking pointy protrusions. Yeah. I, that's a, that is a visual description. <laughs> that Mike had to translate to audio. And thank goodness uh, he did. Well, we could have just had it go exterminate. Oh, now we're doing the Scion stuff. I'm from Gaul. Yeah. There's not a whole this lot is, to read. This is a great, great sequence here. And crackpot conspiracy theories. Yeah. I see. I just, I just no, like the, the foreshadowing there. Yeah. Uh, of that much, I'm and we've got the, we've got the scions mentioned. We've got the blob ships. It's like, okay, well, what's, what's going on here? And I, we still haven't revealed what's going on here. So I'll just shut up. But good. I think I everything is planned. Yeah. Except the parts we didn't plan. Yeah. We're still half a kilometer beneath the city. Oh, here comes a good narrator line. Mm-hmm. It's light, isn't it? True. Mm-hmm. I'm going in first. Be ready for anything. Yeah, this is this is a good this is a this is well done. Three, two, one. Ah. Uh okay. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> oh yeah. Sir? You better come see this. Yeah. Yubari stepped out into the next chamber and found herself on an overhang, which was overlooking, well, it was hardly fair to say it was overlooking a cave because there are very few caves in the known galaxy large enough to even compete with this mammoth cavity. Five, maybe six clicks from where Yubari was standing and easily half that in height was more like a cathedral than a cave, though a cathedral to a she couldn't have guessed. This was to say nothing of the ornamentation. Strewn about the sanctuary yeah. between the great might have overdone the exposition just a little bit there. Maybe. Yeah. maybe it's a it's a striking description though. It's my maybe my favorite narrator line. Yeah, yeah. And it still made me say eh, we should get rid of the narrator, but yeah. yeah, that was a good one. You did a good one line. Yeah, what exactly delivery? This was looking at an interesting description. Yeah. Picking up titanium. <sighs> I just got that from the technical manual. They're Starfleet, sir. And their reading is 8,000 years old. 8,000 years old. Just like the catacombs themselves. Yeah. Can you pick up any transponder signals? Anything that might identify one of the ships? I don't have to. Look, on that nacelle. NCV 83124. USS. Dun dun dun. Yeah. Yeah, that was well played. We've got a we've got a ship from two hundred years in the future that's actually been there for eight thousand years. Excellent. Yep. That's very confusing. In, in different parts. Yeah. Because I think the the Oracle AI guy he only crashed here three thousand years ago or something. I'm not sure. So different parts of the ship, I think, crashed at different times. I could be wrong about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just embarrassing. I should go check my timeline file because I have that. Space. Oh, yeah. Our last last intro from, from Elise, isn't it? 
Uh, no, she keeps giving intros until she actually dies, as I recall. Okay. We wanted to keep people thinking she was going to be alive. Um, so it would be a surprise when she stopped. No, we're going to kill her, and you are... Yes. Creating no end of trouble for the guy who had to write No One Gets Out Alive. Yeah. Not realizing that she was going to be dead by then. Oops. Yes. Two, yeah. 200,000 BC. Lieutenant Alex okay, yeah, the Oracle AI crashes in about 1850 AD, so they've been there for 600 years. But Sky Splitter, Sky Wounder, this cave crashed 8,000 years ago. So you got two halves of the Oracle crashing at different times in Philantria's history, which is neat. Okay. Today's episode, The Excelsior Returns, Act 5 of 5, Down the Rabbit Hole. Okay. So now we finally actually get into the episode 20 minutes in. Starting 59,953.8. That intro might have been a little long. I think you got a point. Hey, maybe. Uh, you know... The thing about audio is we don't have commercial breaks, right? right? So often the only way for me to escape a sequence is to save the theme song for it. So sometimes the theme song shows up halfway into the episode just because it's like, I need a scene break. What am I going to do? I don't want to do a fade because those are boring. I'll just do the theme song here. Um, so there's a method to the madness. This is a way too long captain's log. Yeah, well, yeah, well this is... Yeah, Melissa... Getting a little too wound up here. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a Michael Burnham log. Yeah, and it's just. Yeah, it's. It could have been could have been shorter because I mean her diatribe against Dovan's leadership. I thought yeah, it might have just. Well, it it made a point, but it was one that got made later on. Yeah, there are ways to do this that don't involve captain's logs yeah now a uh, fun piece of background to this um the actor here uh dr sharp is uh Ed edison potter right um mm -hmm. and she was uh, edison was a uh, part of the original role-playing game um edison played neva on the role-playing game and played dr sharp on the show but when Edison had first joined the game, uh, Edison created a character called uh, Sam Wazalau Asi, who was going to be the ship's counselor, and then quickly abandoned this character because uh, realizing that Sam Wazalau was really annoying and Edison hated uh, her a lot and wanted her to go away. So uh, I kind of wrote this scene partly to be like, haha, Sam Asi, lol. Uh, you have to act with Sam C now, uh, and also so that uh, Edison would have the opportunity to kill Sam C, like formally make her die. Mm -hmm. Just a weird piece of background trivia. Uh, when Edison got the scene, Edison was like, "Why have you done this to me, James?" For fun. Because I am, the, I am now the successor to the Great Bird, and I can do this. Yes, <laughs> yeah. There you go. And of course, it is interesting. You got this different coterie of nurses here, and basically, we've got evolved into more or less two, two nurses. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Nurse Hennessy, and yeah, it's pretty much Nurse Hennessy is the right hand. Yeah, right hand of the right hand medicine. 
Yeah, the yeah. ship surgeon. This is Nurse Rojan, who's played by my youngest sister in her only appearance on Excelsior. Oh. Decent actress. Yes, she, she did a good job. Did, didn't like the audio. Um, and she was always embarrassed by her performance here, so she never wanted to do it again. Hmm. You've got to... That's one of those things that I think, uh, you know, you can go too far in either direction. You can be too egotistical and be in love with your own performance, or you can... Yep. Be be embarrassed and say, "Oh, that's terrible." When the director says, "That's a that's good," uh, then you need to take the director's word for it that that's good, because the director's butt's the one that's on the line. It's usually the director that cast you, and if they if they think you did a bad job, they may not say anything. But if you did a good job, then you can pretty much. If they say you did a good job, then you probably take that to the bank. You you can take it to the bank, and that's. Something I've applied to my own Raleigh, <laughs> acting career. Later energized. I don't want her going in shock when yeah. the paracortex yeah. shuts down. Yes, doctor. She was 15 at the time, so I guess she yeah. sounds it. Adrenal synchronomia are fading. Uh, are you talking about Edison here? My, no, my my sister, Elizabeth. Oh, okay. Elizabeth you know, Haney. Yeah, but uh, that's, that's uh, I think Edison was 17? I, we were such a young cast. I, I was... I was 17. That means Edison was 15 or 16. This mm-hmm. is ridiculous. We were a tiny group of people. <laughs> yeah. But it should be enough. Neurolytic modulator. Set to 46 microvolts. Yeah. We won't discuss my age. Modulator locked in. Looks good. Last injection. This was... I remember doing this scene. What? Because Sam wrote special music for it. Sam Gillis wrote... A little track called Not Sharp Enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we were trying to figure out, you know, how... Because he had just started doing scoring, and he was like, well, can I contribute some more to the actual score of the episode? I said, yeah, I've got this scene coming up. Please make it scary, and that'd be great. And I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to be very close to the music that played when Tasha Yard died in season one uh, of Next Gen. And, uh, but with its own spin on it. And I like it. It's a good piece of music. Again. Combines well with the sound effects. No response in the mm-hmm. isocortex. Yep. Respiration failing. Come on, Sam. Mm-hmm. Die, Come Sam. Die. die. Yeah. Yeah. Tamasee really was an annoying character. She's gone, Doctor. She deserves death. <laughs> well, that's that's one thing about being the head writer. If somebody annoys you, you can just yeah, say, <laughs> just okay. Wave them out. Yeah. yeah. Transporter accident. Oh, Sorry, Commander Sonak. Yeah. Could, doctor. Her isocortex <laughs> just wasn't strong enough. Don't. Samacy is dead, and I killed her. I didn't have a choice, but that. Can't think of anyone else I've killed just for annoying me. Um. Well, you didn't kill Pachikrota, but. No, that was. I would have loved to keep using Pachikrota. But yeah, it would have been weird. Yeah. And the narrator, we've already discussed what happened to him. I mean, you're still here. You obviously don't annoy me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe so. But I can't predict how the wasting will react. Yeah, the wasting was really a a nasty piece of work. Uh, you might and just have to take your best it, guess. And it, one of the things I like about it is it basically no baseline. you could true. argue that they just lucked into what would cure it. it is. 
You know, mm-hmm. it, it really, I mean, you had this what? just Where incredible work by, by Dr. Sharp. I mean, who just worked, God, worked herself right into a tizzy trying to trying to come up with something that would work. But yet, as it turned out, it was just basically, oh, we we solved one problem and then solved this one. (laughs) It's a good thing you've got Simon Westlake around here. Yeah, yeah, Simon, uh, really, uh, Lee Sands had a really difficult role, if you think about it, because he went from somebody who was... That who just, there, you know, had, had, had yeah, he was mentally challenged uh-huh. and yeah. uh, had had real problems. And yet, uh, all of a sudden, he was suddenly becoming more and more, years uh, ago, more and more intelligent and more able yeah. to deal with things. And then, and then back down the then, slope on the other side know, of it. Yeah. Six, Which yeah, is kind of yeah, he did a very good job. Uh, if you've ever seen the Cliff Robertson movie reading, uh, Charlie, how old again? Uh, it's how old heartbreaking again? in kind of the right. same way, where you have a yep. character. I who, originally titled the seventh episode of season three after Flowers for Algernon. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but then I changed it. Yeah. Was, uh, Let's head for the Oracle. Yeah, Charlie first. was one of the we'll absolute on genuine tearjerkers um, that didn't involve a death. Oh, you know, nobody died. There was, you know, doesn't uh, he die at the end? No, shit no, he does not. Uh, My bad. No, I think he, he dies just, in the book. Yeah, in the in the in the movie, uh, the final the yeah. final shot was of him going back to his old self and swinging happily on a swing and it freezes. On, he was at this on him, you know, this child, this man who had been through so much really and started off so childlike and then became no a super, super genius. And then at the end, he goes back to goes back to what Damn. he was. Um, this it really is. Really oh, it's it's to me, it was far more effective than if Bag he had as died. Many of these bodies for transport as you can. Starfleet officers deserve I think this was the last big reference. I mean, Dovan just spent a whole paragraph talking about how great Mike Bremer is. And Mike Bremer is the leader of Bravo, was the founder of Bravo Fleet, which is the role-playing game right, fleet in which Excelsior was from. So it was just like, hey, we're giving you a hat tip because you founded our, our whole thing. Kind of stopped doing that later on. Although everything about Starbase 911 is still based on stuff we got from the Starbase 911 role-playing game, which was sort of a next door to ours. Yeah, Starbase 911 is such a good concept, though. It really, it really does make sense. Yeah, I wish I could take credit for it. Yeah, uh, it was all it was all uh, Jay Richardson who came up with that whole environment and. Uh, the the facilities that are there and uh, many of the locations uh, on Starbase Nine One One and on Union Three, um, and I just kind of stole all of it, mm-hmm. put it in the show. <laughs> well, as, as an acting coach told me, is it's the you know good artist, uh, good artist imitates, or and a great artist steals. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, something along those lines. About a meter in diameter, floating ominously above the ground. Ah. Although they were perfectly spherical, Dovan knew that they were looking directly at the two humanoid intruders. Yeah, now this is an example of something that could have been handled through exposition. Quickly, 
But it would have been difficult because they would have been be shouting things like, that thing's chasing us. Look at how it's a meter long. But then here we go, Dovan talking about the appendage. Yeah. Why does Dovan hate bone saws? It's, it's a really specific thing. I don't uh, suppose there's any yeah. chance they I don't know. Yeah, but I, I remember this is this is one of those things where uh, again fire. Where would you find a bone saw effect? Something that the idea of a bone saw. It just it, it worked. Yeah, what we came up with, what I came up with uh, was able to make it work, but it was yeah. And I like that shield reflection sound I always have. Still don't know what that is. It's it's good. Um, you know, some of this, I really, I really enjoyed leaning on the narrator as a crutch for here's what's going on on the board right now because I didn't have to have the character shout it or I could make really complicated moves happen uh-huh. without worrying about whether people would be able to follow it. But it was so interrupting; it had to, it had to stop. I'm fine, sir. And I clearly am learning as the scene goes on here. One more question we can ask later. Come on, this way. Run away! (laughs) The bone saw is coming. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you have a bone saw if you have lasers? We can't. Uh, I guess just to be nastier, right? Yeah, it's cool. Oh, Dovan's favorite trick. He does that at least twice in this series, and I don't know anyone else who does. That got him. <laughs> Take that. Yeah. I only heard uh. two explosions. Really? Oh. Oops. And then we better get <laughs> Good idea. Shouldn't we tech to make sure we destroyed all three? No, we shouldn't. <laughs> if it is still alive, we have to get away from here. There's no time to waste. Fine, then let's get moving. Footsteps. Ah, uh, the bane of my editing existence. Didn't figure out panning yet, had we? No, at that point we had not. And that, yeah. Rock had been or at least so not we're just trying to fade it down. Future. Yeah, or not, prototype warship in or at least at, uh, I hadn't really figured out. Both knew to be doomed. Well, however, the period. Let's just say that we had to we had to work on it, and I still have I still have problems with it at times. Something oh, that's frustrating. Yeah, it really is, and especially since our showrunner Jim Smagata is one big of on the panning. He loves the panning, and he loves he loves foot. Footsteps to be just so, and it's just like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, buddy. I presume you're the one doing the observation? Do I recognize this board character so, here? You're yeah, he's, he showed up in the last episode. His name's Monty. Yeah, uh, he was Monty. played by Daniel LaForce Johnson. I mean... Mm-hmm. But we couldn't reach Daniel when we started this episode. I always assumed it was because Daniel was mad at us for killing his character without any warning. Because he also played Jack Helder. Um, and he was good at it. Uh, but we couldn't reach him for this episode. Uh, and so Jim Smogata took over the lines. So that is Jim in a uh, Borg voice. These are all great questions Raw is asking. And at the time, I was really wondering the answers to them. Yeah. 
you win. Like, what is the deal with the Borg Queen? Eventually, I had answers, but. This drone's designation is four of seven. Further irrelevant inquiries will be disregarded. Ah, shut up. Fine then. <laughs> I was just trying to strike up. You a... are attempting to extract tactical information from the collective that would be useful to your intelligence services. You don't in say. Fourth century. You are Alex Rawl. Serial number DH-997-1116. Historical assignment, Starfleet Special Operations Division. Intelligence and... I mean, it's comforting that he went down in Borg history. Yeah. Yeah, they knew who he was. Is part of your yeah. <laughs> Deceit is part of your distinctiveness. Yeah, that is... That's a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's... Not something you'd expect from a Borg. Yeah, a Borg 20 years after you died who can look up your shoe on them and be like, hey, I know you. Dr. Sharp doesn't. I've been doing this all my life. Doesn't help they want them to use any tools manufactured in the last 30 years, but... Anyhow, I was hoping 4-7 here might be of some help to me. The collective concurs. New designation is one of two tasked to hologram repair. Perfect. Let's get to it. Des designation one of two. Lieutenant. Okay. How's your work going? Well, we've got to get him back up to 14%, and I think... Because he was 4 of 7, because I had to make a 47 joke. Sure. Yeah, okay. I, again, I was fearless about 47 jokes in season one, but in... Uh, the later seasons, I kind of backed off of them. Okay, why don't you explain, explain what, what's behind the 47 joke? Oh, oh yeah. Um, in Star Trek, the number 47 appears a lot because um, one of the producers, I used to know this off the top of my head, went to Pomona College where one of the math professors said that 47 is the most common number in the universe. And once he said this, everyone started seeing 47 everywhere. I was like, whoa, how, why is 47 the most common number? Where, why are we seeing it in all these places? Uh, and of course, it was just because the guy said it, and so they all started seeing it. Um, but then this writer uh, went to Star Trek eventually and uh, started inserting 47s into his scripts as the most common number in the 24th century. And it kind of got out of control, and then there's just hundreds of 47s in The Next Generation and DS9 and Voyager, and to some extent Enterprise. I'm new. And I was like, ooh, I'll continue. I'll continue the joke. I'll get fours. I'll get sevens. I'll get sevens and fours. I'll reverse them. I'll, I'll do the letter 4G because that's the seventh letter of the alphabet. Dr. Sharp for you. You heard about the time she got sick of the captain ignoring her rest orders. So she put him in an actual restraining. Ah, Hertzler. During a battle. Yeah. No, I haven't. J.G. Hertzler. Lieutenant Junior Grade. Yeah. Of course. Sharp. She's got guts. Oh, and I, where are you from? We did the thing where she put the captain in a restraining field. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it wasn't. She put Lorak in a restraining field, and then Lorak later on. Never mind. I just spoiled things. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you have you'll have to have to listen. Keep listening to. Yeah. I guess it's not a huge shock because it was really heavily telegraphed in uh, uh, the season five finale. 
Oh, you know, standard radiation treatment. Mm. I was down working on the transphasic... Chron transphasic chroniton torpedoes is an April Fool's Day joke from Memory Alpha in, like, well, it must have been 2009, because that's when we made this episode. Near that thing? Well, this guy talks an awful really lot. You know what I mean? It's, uh, a bit, oh, yeah. He's a little bit loose-lipped. He's doing series-long exposition for us. Yeah. And I mean pulverize it. Nothing left but dust. Whoa, that's Rawl does like milking him. Impressive. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's having a good old time. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant, have you? Yeah, ever Monty didn't uh, didn't fall for it. With the Miriam? Yeah, but Hertzler is a sucker. Yeah. But I had a brother who was. Why pre battle jitters? Something like that. Don't worry. The transchroniton torpedo is going to be more than enough to win this one. Mm. Hell, we might even win Transchroniton for well, torpedo. Aha! Uh -huh. okay. This one, at least. That's a reference to the Sword of Damocles. Yeah. Something I didn't hear in the standard briefing, maybe? Hmm. Well, you know what they say about how their ships are really just four... Yeah, I'm mostly just going to spend this dialogue bragging about all the foreshadowing I did in 2009. Well, of course, there's enough yeah. do Doctor Who references here to... Oh yeah, that's that episode too. as well. That's how they work for in years. Time and relative dimensions in space. Come on, James. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I had just discovered at least yeah. Doctor Who in 2007 or so, and was very obsessed. Yeah. The outsides of the ships, yes. Yeah. And no one else had heard of Doctor Who in America yet. Obviously, all the British people knew about it, but it was still just a weird show on sci-fi that aired before Stargate Atlantis. Yeah. And well, it got big in season five, but we weren't quite there yet. But we out here on the front line are starting to yeah. think there's more to it than that. We suspect there's also an interior to these yeah. ships. And what's more, we think they're fixed interiors. They're fixed interiors. They okay. exist in three dimensions. Yeah. And so even though they're rotating through there we go. relative <laughs> yeah. in space along with the exterior hull, they can't change. Yeah, but if they size. crash. Yeah. And for the poor non-engineer in this uh -huh. room, what difference does that make? Well, for one... It means that most of the time, the blobs are bigger on the inside yeah, 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 than on outside, the outside, yeah. okay. which is pretty extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. More importantly, uh, it means that when they die, you just had to go the there, skin yeah. dries onto the internal Still <laughs> somehow not as much of a Doctor Who episode as Nurturing Lives. <laughs> well, that's but hey, now we know there's a myriad blob ship amazing. that swallows starships, yeah, crash into the Valandrian Caves. Right. That's weird. It finally explains why the one that crashed on New Victoria went straight through a kilometer of rock and turned into a whole new network of caves. It was just oh, I forgot about New Victoria line. being here. I suppose yeah. that makes the New Victoria, of course, is the planet in season three that gets blown up by uh, Brahms's space pirates. Right. Yeah. What did you say? You know, the New Victoria specimen. Yep. Apparently, they rebuilt it at some point in the 2390s. You're right. Would it be possible that a starship in close contact with a blob that got hit and crashed at the right moment? So they got they got destroyed twice. Solid rock during the crash. Sucks to be New Victoria. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to volunteer to colonize that place. Force. Not the third time. No. Something on this the is Seti Alpha Five. Yeah. But the odds are a billion yeah. to one. Do you ever, in um, do you know the Star Trek episode, uh, a uh, Twilight, where Enterprise, uh. 
Sees it's the yes. alternate future where Earth gets blown up by the Zindi, and they all the humans have to flee, and they end up uh, on, like living on one planet, and that's all that's left of humanity. And there's one crappy ship trying to defend them from the Zindi fleet. Mm. That's all I needed to know. Do you remember that one? No. So. Well, they mentioned at one point they're on the fifth planet of the SETI Alpha system, and you're like, wait a second. No, come on. <laughs> That's, yeah, so humanity escapes this Indian and lives on this crappy planet where they're clearly in a lot of trouble. And even if they somehow survive in about a hundred years, their planet's going to blow up or get ruined. acquisition, though. You're human, aren't you? Wow, you are new. Yeah. Appear on the front line. I got kind of got a kick out of this with the uh, Ferengi reference. Yeah. Yeah. All the dead Ferengi. Yeah. What I wouldn't give today to see another Ferengi. I used to think they were just trolls, yeah. and the only thing I gave them... The Myriad did something bad. They were greedy, selfish, uncaring trolls. And you know what? I was right. But still, when they were gone, you suddenly realized... That might be the only time we quote a rule in the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think it is. I don't, I don't remember any others. I am... I love the rules, but it's an easy and often lazy way to talk about the Ferengi. It's just to quote a rule at them. Yeah. And then the Ferengi, I can go, oh, good for you. You know your rules. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, guys. Of course not, Doc. Wouldn't want to disturb his rest. Hmm. Well, your radiation readings all check out. Let me take you back to the lab where I can take a closer look. Hertzler still has no idea. He just broke the temporal prime directive 99 times I can't believe Roll gave him his real name all mine. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> well Sharp's standing right there right oh okay yeah well that would explain it memo to self easier to get information out of Starfleet than the board <laughs> thank you <laughs> computer deactivate AI voice circuits Lorok? Spast. Shouldn't come up behind me like that, Lieutenant. Sorry, Lieutenant. Can I have a word? Sure. Away from the Borg? Oh. Over there, then. Whew, footsteps. What seems to be the trouble? No trouble, Lieutenant. I was wondering how much you'd learned. Learned? About our captors. <clears throat> captors? Yes. The people who won't let us leave sick you know, this, this whole discussion yeah, about the temporal prime directive gets a little bit convoluted here. It's just a little bit tortured. Yeah. Yeah. I take it you've broken. You're saying you didn't? I wasn't planning for my first assignment as chief engineer to end up in a court martial, no. You're saying you've had access to the computer banks of a starship from the future with experience fighting telepathic weapons, and you didn't even look for a cure for wasting? <laughs> experience fighting telepaths? Telepathic weapons! There's an engineer who was just in here. We had... A and Lorak's not even... ...about the future. Yeah. So you ...registering the arguments Rawl is making. He's like, yeah. you did what? I'm not that yeah. good a liar. They're just incredulous at each other. You, and they're going to be best friends. ...to fill in the blanks. Under most circumstances, the person I'm talking to is not a time traveler, no. is a safe assumption. The point is, I learned something that could help us. 
the point is you're trying to change the timeline using knowledge from the Yeah, this, this is definitely you a classic case of ship, talking past each other here. Which is good. How are we yeah. supposed to help these people? Just, Russell P. Davies says that most conversations are actually two people having a single conversation next to each other. <laughs> In this case, it's definitely true. All these people yes. are going to die, Lieutenant. Are you going to let them? Oh, boy, big speech. Lieutenant Roll, but it's kind of a Larock defining speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got you have the young idealistic galaxy with a officer. I should probably have deleted three of these sentences. Just to keep it shorter. But it's all right. Partly in order to protect ourselves. But it's more than that. It's not your place to play golf. And Sam does a nice job selling it. Tyrants or terraforming the surface of a world in six minutes, or changing the timeline to save yeah, people's I mean, lives. Considering the, the temporal mm-hmm. prime directive protects not Sam just ourselves and our lives in the deep south, history, and can sound like anybody. And ask ask him so to sound like somebody yes. with a you are going to let pseudo-British or New Zealand accent is really asking quite a lot. It's not my place to make these decisions. So instead, Rawl is 100% manipulating Lorak right here. Oh, yeah. Very He knows exactly I mean, which, he does like to save people. Yeah. But, I see your point, Mr. yeah, he knows what buses to press. And he does want those transcroniton torpedoes. Not even a lot of lives. No, there's a point where you're being flexible with the rules because you're out on your own on the frontier. And then there's a point when it's just rationalization. Fine. But let's at least save the people on the Oracle. I thought I made it quite clear. You won't change the timeline. Fine, oh, you won't change the timeline. How I mean, about hmm. we reinterpret? <laughs> yeah. I'm listening. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's building. Yeah, we could have could have made that transition a little tighter there. Yeah, there's a music cue in the script I'm seeing right here as I'm reading along, um, but we just skipped it. I don't know why. Hmm. It's finding an answer from Enterprise, Silent Enemy, in case anyone airs. Hmm. Well, maybe we could do a, do a, do a, somebody could do a fan edit. <laughs> the Phantom Edit, where you add in a 12-second music cue and nothing else. Oh, that, hey, makes as much sense as some of the stuff I've seen out there. Yeah. I have to be careful never to go back and edit season one myself, because if I did, what would come out would not be the same product. And uh, people love that. I don't want to mess with it. But if other people want to edit season one, I would be very interested in listening to the product of that. I do love fan edits. I've started showing my daughter all the Star Wars, my youngest. She's three. And of course, I show them in machete order, 45236, because that is the best way to watch the Star Wars trilogy the first time. Um, but I just didn't want to watch episode two, so I found a good fan edit of it called... Um, the Approaching Storm, and it got rid of all the cringy what bits, and it edited in some less cringy bits, and it was like, oh, this is an alright movie. You and I understand that uh, there is a very good edit, 
edit of no, the Hobbit trilogy. Really? I, yeah. I would watch that. Yeah. So is it like two hours long? No, I think it boils it down to one to like four hours or something or whatever it is. It takes That's acceptable. A, it takes a big chunk yeah. out of it and really takes a lot of cringe out of it. I want to know why. There is so much cringe in that in that trilogy. Oh yeah. And it's just and. If it wasn't for the cringe, you'd have something that might something be pretty good. You down to yeah. Maybe the laws they were just trying to cash in. Yeah. yeah, I should look that up. Sounds like fun. And if we're very yeah. lucky, maybe we'll have a treatment before anyone else dies. I hope you're right, Doctor. I'll come peacefully. Good. I wonder what a Trigati is. Sharp says there's a Trigati on the ship. I don't think it's a canon species. I think I made that up. Hmm. I always, I, I do like when I do a list of things in the universe, I try and have at least one thing that's from canon Another and one thing that isn't, that's just made up. So that way the universe is always stable, like we're still using the old stuff. Yeah. We're also always growing. We're building out new things. But the Trigati is something I apparently put in and then totally forgot about, so I never built on it in any way. <laughs> what your assignment on excelsior oh this is this is Why this is a this is a good exchange what your real mission is oh good i don't remember it me an explanation earlier i uh i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna special assignment for captain cortez intelligence division uh of course you wouldn't be able to tell me that I don't suppose your mission uncovered anything on Valandria that might come in handy right now. Mm -hmm. My mission did not involve Valandria. Oh, psych! So mission. Yeah. I... Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I was. Ooh, lucky escape for Ubes. When they heard the sudden rumbling and creaking noises, the two Starfleet officers looked behind themselves. Then they looked up. They were going around another destroyed starship, and at the moment they were passing by an old upended warp nacelle. I've got to admit, above them even today, I'm thinking, I'm looking at this and thinking, how would I have done it without a narrator? And I still don't know how you have a warp nacelle fall on someone and just do that through exposition. Yeah. Look out, that warp nacelle is falling on us. That warp nacelle nearly fell on us. Right. There we go. When it first fell, I was like, it just sounds like three tin cans, but then there's the big boom. That's how myself falls over. Are you all right, Lieutenant? Yubari? Oh. Yubari! We need dun, dun, dun. Oh, here, here it comes again. Now! Already. Oh, that bone saw is. Oh, boy. It found us. The bone saw is heating up. The obvious was only <laughs> well, back to running then. <laughs> no, not back to running. Are you questioning me? That nacelle. It was a very convenient cave-in. It sealed our only escape route. You mean that thing has us cornered? Phasers. I'm fresh out. Oh, not bad. Behind me, Commander. Yeah. 
That's the thing about Bob. I like that. Yeah, well, that's a line. Um, the character of uh, Yubriaska was originally uh, played by a guy named uh, M. Blaise, who was a French Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when uh, Michael joined the uh, uh, the game, uh, he didn't. He he knew. A, He'd never really been in an English community before. I mean, he'd learned English at school, but as far as I know, he wasn't, like, doing a lot of English on a regular basis. Um, so he's trying to write in English for the first time, and the dialogue for Yubari in early uh, writing was very interesting as a result. Um, and that was one of the lines, and I was like, i got to keep that line. Uh, that's just, that's part of, Yubar- of, of this character's voice. Thank um, you. So I did. We thought you were dead. And and uh, uh, Blaze gradually became a really uh, uh, quite skilled uh, writer. Uh, but those those first step those first posts were pretty fun. Consider it repayment in part for what befell Rachel Cortez under my protection. Even though I'm just a male. Come, your objective and mine may be more closely. Yeah. Tied. Thanks for stabbing that pro veterana. Yeah. Alert. I always love to say the same thing to you. Things in sci-fi that are resistant to energy weapons, but Thank you, sir. can't resist a sword. You brought a woman with you, don't yeah. that? I am pleased that you saw the wisdom in my advice. Like Dune. Oh, uh, yes. Actually, that was Your a good. Words were at the forefront of my well, mind. well delivered line there. <laughs> yes, Tovan did that very well. Larry did that very well. Yeah, Where and exactly? uh, Joyce throw it out there really well for him. Some months yeah. ago, I placed a control platform for the orbital weapons down here in the heart of the catacombs. No other living one of the, knows One of the of snippets of Joyce's background is she had been an executive producer at a radio station I worked at where she w- her job was to be in charge, more or less, of all the talk hosts. And uh, you talk about a job that involves, like, say, hurting cats would have been a... <laughs> yeah, understatement. And, and trying to so, dealing with dealing with uh, volatile personalities is something she does have experience with. <laughs> well, it shows in her character. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I know almost nothing about Joyce uh, real life. Oh, definitely. Thank you for finding her though, and convincing her to do our show. And the that took some persuasion. <laughs> yes, she likes Star Trek. It is one reason we have been I don't. So I don't really think so. I don't think she's a, that much of a fan. Ones, but, yes, but she does have she does have some theater background, obviously. Obviously, and, uh, and they bring with them a much darker history. How do you was mean? Able to, to get her arms around the character who's yes, seven foot tall lizard. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I've seen uh, Peter Stein is working on the um, the next uh, video episode of uh, Excelsior, uh, adapting uh, what is it? Turns of events. Okay. To uh, to video, and I've seen the Valendrian character designs, which are based on work by Johnny Nemo. Okay. Um, and uh, they're looking pretty good. I'm fairly excited to see how the the Valendrian will show up on YouTube. In many ways, we were weak, but we were also without fear. Yeah. And then came the gods. Yeah. The gods? Do not take that tone. The myriad, man. Yeah. They are 
and I, yeah, I like I like this exchange here because yeah. it really not to offend them for they do not really what you know, it, I and the gods trying, well, what caves. I like is 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 the ambivalence that the Valandrians have toward their gods the yeah they're scared I like that. Our legends say it looks yeah. like a great... Yeah. is just so reflexively skeptical, though. He can't hear it. Yeah. Dovan, listen! Yeah. I should be quieter. My wife is trying to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It simply passed through the bedrock and did not stop for a long way. When it did, here it was. All around us, and the catacombs, a great graveyard in which we walk even now. After that, the gods spoke. And just like that. What did they say? Many things, but mainly of war and conquest. And they the turned us into crazy killer warrior nuts. Yeah. And they did it for fun. Yeah. Minds of our ancestors. And you gave up your peaceful culture to follow the ways of your gods. No, many would not listen. And so the gods prepared a penance for us. They searched all our world and found our greatest warrior, the leader who best modeled the qualities they sought. Her name was Mara, mother of all. And the gods sent the wasting upon us, and every Valandrian who did not belong to Mara or her house ill and Ugh. it's like a Noah thing bad show and then went to sleep <laughs> they promised that on the day of their return there would be another reckoning our gods made us warriors what we are what we love to be but we do not love our that gods. is a good line I understand yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I like that yeah when we appear, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, that, well, it's a, it's really a different twist. It's just like, otherwise we'd still just be a bunch of plant-eating wimps. No, we were better off when we were plant-eating wimps. And then, when you brought the wasting to Astrin Saw and to the people, there are still many moments that I believe that. Frankly, you've almost got me believing Almost. Well, not me. Could you hurry up? We still don't know if there are more of those robots around. Mm -hmm. Fine, fine. We'll pick up the pace, Yubari. More footsteps. Faster footsteps. Yeah. Slightly what faster. Do, yeah. What do seven-foot lizard footprints sound like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these are... The, these wearing are nice boots. Yeah, these are, these oh, are the things I... Uh, Security's yeah. posted right outside the sickbay door. Come quickly. Dr. Sharp's like collapsed. It. Everybody Go just to think about things I that they don't think about, you know, when they think <laughs> these shows take them for granted. All right, we do better thinking there? about them now. Yeah. What's Marty doing on the ground? Oh, it's a trap. Yeah, that was definitely an Adam Akbar thing. Yeah. I demand to know. Sorry. I really like that line. Ah, uh, uh, Starfleet Security Division. Psych. Yeah. That's all of them. Corridor clear. Yes, but not for long. My wife says I use psych wrong. Let's get moving. Hmm. Jeffrey's tube access is at the end of the corridor. Yeah. Actually, it's right here. Haha, <laughs> clever exposition. This is a Jeffrey's tube. Just get the tube roll. Yes, sir. Okay, let's go over this again. 
I think I tried to cover up the fact that this part is kind of boring explanation of what they're doing by having a really exciting track from soundtrack, Star Trek V. I don't know. Well, Star Trek V is good for something. <laughs> yeah, this is... When they attack the city with all the Cybox followers in it. About the only only thing Star Trek V is good for is for keeping commercials from bumping into each other in the late show at about between 2 and 4 in the morning. <laughs> oh yeah, let's hear the plan. You really don't think much of my engineering skills, do you? It's not that lieutenant. It's well one of the things that just occurred to me is we did an awful lot of these early productions in monophonic. They weren't even in stereo. Um, yeah. And uh, so it's pretty hard to do panning on a monophonic track. Yep. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, we just weren't paying attention to that. Well, we just didn't know how. That, that was the main that's, thing. Yeah, that's we really got, it. Because we got uh, Jim Spagata and Gary Coble more involved, and uh, yeah. we were able to get more of a grasp of, of how to do things like that. They're not especially difficult no, if you, if you but, know, know where to find it in your, in your, uh, yeah, in your software. ID. I can't do it in Reaper, that's for sure. Yeah. I have no idea what's going on in Reaper. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, that conversation was before we started recording. I'm trying to learn Reaper, everyone. Uh, yeah. so, I've always been an Audition user, and now I'm trying to learn this new digital audio workstation, and it's driving me nuts. Man, good luck with that. Yeah, thanks. This is very convoluted. Now we're heroes. I'm glad Michael delivered this with so much animation. It would be really easy to kill this whole speech and make it dead, but he, uh, breathed some nice life into it. There's another Doctor Who joke. I'm sorry. That gave me a headache. <laughs> Before I go on, you're the engineer here, right? So if our plan works, then it will be because it was destined to work. And if it fails, nothing Oh, I hate that, that. Theoretically, yes. Yeah. We know they call self-consistency principle. That is a nice way to say, here's the basic rule of time travel in this show. Because Star Trek has such inconsistent time travel rules. Yeah. Uh, well, that's... And we've bent it a little bit too, but... Um, well, it's like Star Trek Four. That was the same, right? Same thing out of yeah. there. If this happens, yeah. it's because if we do this is, and it works, it's because we're it was supposed to work. Yeah, it was it, and it's like, oh, just. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there but it gives you kind of a, a marker, like. Yeah. This show is not going to let you split the whole universe into an alternate universe or something, which is an important rule to have, I think. You know. 
Otherwise, time travel plots can get really, really out of control. You can do a single episode, like tomorrow's Excelsior, and mess with time all over however you want. But if you've got like a series long time travel arc, yeah, I think self consistency helps. The problem is then you have to know a lot of things at the beginning of the show that are going to happen at the end of the show, and then you got to pay those things off. Yeah, it's one of those things where I'm the basic of... Uh, I remember seeing a seminar from a from a new, from a TV news uh, guy who was talking about doing feature pieces, and he says the most important thing is do the do the end first, <laughs> and I, that makes that makes perfect sense because it's, yeah. it's, it's like if you don't know where you're going to end up, how are you how are you going to get there? Yeah. And I admit that is the thing that keeps me awake at night more than anything else about Excelsior is having made all these promises to viewers over all these years, can we keep all those promises when the time arrives? And I have ideas for how to do them. Don't make promises you don't have any idea how to keep, but uh, it has to come together really, really well. And it's like, well, can we do another episode that comes together as well as the graceful end? And better, because it's the series finale. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll find out. No. I'll find out. Yeah. Well, yeah, if it doesn't work, we'll blame you. You'll have to. It'll yeah. be my fault. <laughs> but I'm a better writer than I was in 2009. And even than in, I was in 2013, so I'm hopeful. Hopeful. The other big risk is that we'll get to the final episode and be like, okay, so this is a great episode, but it's also seven hours long. That might be a problem, yeah. Might be a problem. <laughs> you know, think, it, think it'd be so long, you know, break it into break it into multiple parts, but you know, oh, yeah. run, run the risk that somebody could just say, I'm just going to shoot this thing and put it out of its misery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, season three was always supposed to be five episodes long, and we ended up at... Nine, I think. Hmm. Ten if you count the end bar. Um, it just kept growing out of control. And the finale was still two and a half hours long. Yep. So that is a problem I have. It's hard to judge how much time you need to tell a story. At least it's hard for me to judge it. I guess TV writers have to do a good job. Because they have commercials and things. Budgets. Well, you can figure they probably can look at a story and... And a really experienced writer could probably say, okay, there's scene one, there's scene two, there's scene three, there's scene four, there's the epilogue, and we're gone. We're, we're good. And, uh, you know, you know how much time you've got. So, yep. some, of, some of it's going to be, there's a lot of art and a lot of talent, but there's also a lot of structure involved with that. It's one thing that's an advantage and a curse because it makes you tighten your writing and it makes you really aware of the impact of each one. But with a podcast... You've got the ability to just say, okay, if it takes 90 minutes, it takes 90 minutes. Yep. But and then, that's kind of where we've ended up, for the most yeah. part. Like, the last couple of years, couple seasons, really, we run around 80-minute episodes, or or sometimes we do two 45-minute episodes, and that's kind of our story range right now. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but it's... I always wanted to get down to 60-minute episodes, but... I don't know. I guess I just don't write in that meter. <laughs> yeah.
My tricorder just gave out. Interference, apparently. There's always a problem of just... From an optimist when you have an open canvas, the temptation is to get diarrhea of the word processor, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that can happen. Yeah, and I think I can probably still be accused of that today. Uh, but uh, Well, it's, it is nice. Well, it, I think you... You've hit a good idea with the with the idea of beta readers who go over scripts to begin with, and, yeah. and that's nice. Where you got somebody who can who's not yeah, not interested in sucking up and saying, you know, this is really good, but it needs to be about half as long. <laughs> go, throw it back in. I mean, Colin Heyman, the red uh, uh, episode, uh, my, uh, the last episode, of season five, where Dovan gets fired, um, and uh, he's like, "Here's 20 minutes of material you could cut," and I was like, "I'm not going to cut that." So he gave me a path to a 60-minute episode, and I just refused. So I guess, you know, if you don't like how long the season five finale is, uh, that is entirely my fault. was pulsing between a big and different shades of blue and green. The slow, deliberate pattern drew Dovan's eyes towards it. He's on the centaur in the Dominion War. I like this bit. Yeah, this came out well. I didn't. I did not yeah. produce this one. Did you, or was this? Uh... I think this is the long scene, and the long scene was Jim. Yeah, this scene just goes on forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jim had the last like twenty minutes of this episode, mm-hmm. so everyone else had everything else. I think I got the. I don't think he did the last scene, the very last scene, but this whole catacomb. Did you feel fight? Ah, oh, yeah, there's a plot point we've dropped and we'll never res- revisit. What the hell is that thing, Premier? As far as I know, it's only a light source. Oh, it's only a light no. source. There was a mind at work there, too. I uh-huh. it. A malevolent mind. I agree. I'd lay 2,000 darsecs that that pillar's the source of the wasting. Should have said quad lose. Perhaps you have. <laughs> I myself felt drawn to this room when I chose the location for my secret weapons control backup. I could not explain it except that this is one of the few rooms not patrolled by the Guardian Automatons, and that I was attracted to it somehow. However, I should like to win my civil war, and then we can turn to your theory. This will only take a few seconds. Whatever, bro. I am tying into my defense network. Loading my personal override codes. There. The satellites are under my control once again. I'm preparing to send my terms of surrender to all. I would reconsider that decision, uh-huh. Premier. Zora G, where did you... Yubari, phaser! Already am- Yubari! And there goes Yubari's second arm? First yeah. arm? Conscious. Practically blew off her right arm. Definitely one of her arms. Do not try yep. to grab her gun, don't. She doesn't get lucky with the limbs. Yeah. Hmm. Well played, Dovan. The Bolian Starfleet officer was in better shape than he looked. Now the muzzle of his phaser was trained on the Valandrian general. 
Sorachi's disruptor, however, was pointed at Premier Betranov, oh. who was still standing at the control computer, seemingly oblivious to the activity behind her. The Landry inversion of a Mexican Sorry. standoff. Pleasure to see and this is interesting. There's two more paragraphs of that narration in the script, and they are gone. I don't know who deleted them. You, me, or Jim, but it was a good delete. Yeah, really. Yeah, just keep the scene moving. Yeah. And clearly, we're, we're really figuring out here where we need the narrator and where we don't. Tell me. What happened to your Oh, the brigadier. brigadier. Oh. Oh. Died off screen. I'm sorry, Mike. Yeah, well. Easy come, easy go. But I survived. Yeah, I think I may have the may have a record of some kind for for characters that showed up and then disappear. <laughs> so we never, we never did hear from Cam Commodore Westlake. You are about to see. We, we should total it up one of these days, you versus me, because now we've got all the stuff on the IMDb we just check. Yeah. But, but I, I, uh, I, my daughter, uh, now every time I say I'm in the episode, she asks if I die, and if I say yes, she says you shouldn't die. I don't want to listen to you die anymore, Dad. You die in too many of your episodes. <laughs> Oh, whatever. I like dying. Nice for you. <laughs> All engines full, Mr. Rota. Take us in. Oh. All I've done is make this an honest negotiation. I often get complaints that the reintroduction of Lorak is too abrupt there. It's just like. Last time we saw him, he was in the future, and he was time traveling back, and then it's just like, oh, he took the ship back over, and he flies this way. Yeah, you would think it had to be cleared for duty or something like that. There has to be a line of dialogue about it, but I've always believed that the audience can just track that, and it's boring to follow the boring details. Yeah, but sometimes it's a little too abrupt. I did the same thing in Tomorrow's Excelsior with Sulu and uh, with Chekhov and Uhura. Um, one minute they were at each other's throats on the planet, the next minute they resolved all their problems. They're working together because I figured that's implied, right? Turns out not implied. Okay. <laughs> People write to me. And they're like, what happened? You won't even pretend to the honor combat any longer. You will address me as acting Captain Dove. I like the hisses. Also, yeah. you're under arrest. How exactly yeah. do you plan to accomplish that? Hey, you're in Star Trek Aurora? Just the principle of the thing. Yes. Part of yes, I am. I was looking at your IMDb page to try and add up who died more. <laughs> no, I, well, I didn't die in that one. I was just I just made a cameo. I was just a Klingon. According to this, you are the Klingon who needs no help from humans, which is a great name for a character. Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah it was a bar fight scene. I'm still waiting for all the that in my head. I loved Aurora. I did, too. I really... Really found it interesting. And, uh, Tim Vine, was, who was behind that, very, very bright young, young fellow. Yeah. He must be doing something else that's good, right? I would hope so. I, I should find out because Aurora was great. I understand where he stopped because he wanted to do something that was his own and mm -hmm. where CBS wasn't threatening to destroy him. Yeah. Um, because I know he gave it up the same uh, when the when the the guidelines came out. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, as it, as it turned out, he could probably have continued, but... You know, yeah, but he wasn't I, I willing to understand. take the risk, and I'm like, I, I get that. Yeah, and, and besides that, he kind of, I think he really told the story that he wanted to tell. 
the yeah. fortitude of the royal guard. Yeah, it's fair. But that was a that really was a fun project to be involved with, even though I was just very much on the fringe of that. Be glad to meet your turn yeah. to One of my all-time favorite fan films. In exchange for being returned without pomp or circumstance to the leadership. I've lost what page I'm on. A very simple deal, really. You and your female both live. I liberate my world, and your federation gets. Oh, there we go. Hey, what's not to like? Your treaty. Yeah, a scrap of paper. Your treaty. Yeah, it was really selling me on it there, Sorid. Yeah. You're saying that you would become the leader of Valandria, and in doing so, you would drop your anti-Federation rhetoric? I have no love for your people, Dovan, and I still consider you a threat. There have been rumors that the wasting is a problem. It really is really is nice having Kennedy and Joyce. We got two very sexy, mature female voices here. cannot possibly at each other's throats. At each other's throats. Yeah, it's just playing off each other really nicely. Yeah, and like you said, Larry knows how to play a scene with people. No, if it's all the same to you, General, I'd rather just see to it that you. What? Is not this treaty of yours the very reason for your mission here? I'm tired of you. <laughs> Season one, Dovan, is still very edgy. Yeah. And not like teen edgy, just like, I just got out of the Dominion War and I'm still real mad about it edgy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's one more body on a, on a, on a body count? Yeah. I killed a lot of Jem'Hadar and I can kill one more today. Has been recognized because he knows the true meaning of valor. Wrong on both accounts. The only thing I've learned from years of winning medals is that winning medals doesn't mean a damn thing. The only thing that matters is your people stop dying. Yeah, there you go. The only way to make that happen is kill the Jem'Hadar. The what? Look, <laughs> it's a metaphor. Your Jem'Hadar, you Sorigi. You may not have the neck tubes or the diabolical forehead or the Ketracel white fixation. You may they not do know not. what I'm talking yeah. about. They have no idea what he's talking about. No good reason, and that's good enough to qualify you. I'm not going to let a person like that rule anywhere. Even it's kind of interesting that Dovan takes this just kill the bad guys position in a show that There's only one otherwise, but in general, is pretty sympathetic to his bad guys. Dovan isn't, but yeah. like Brahms, eventually we're like, oh, well, we know what his deal is now. Um, and now we're seeing the Blue Guild perspective through Janeth, and it's like, oh, I kind of see why they are the way they are. And Dovan's just like, nope, I don't need to know anything about this. Well, I'm really tired of this, and here's a way to put a stop to it, you know. We're just gonna kill you. Yeah, we'll just, yeah. Be dead now. It's kind of like, Kind of like the Indiana Jones solution sure to the to the sword fighter. <laughs> it's like he didn't he didn't really go through with it, but it's kind of like that same mindset. It's just like I'm I really don't feel like it. <laughs> and he's definitely trying to pull together the themes. Of, he's trying to pull this in. He's trying to pull this idea in with I, examples from the whole season because it's the climactic scene of the season. It's like oh, we should have a season theme. You have shamed yourself by bringing him into the fight between us, Petronas. I was definitely thinking that we should have some kind of season theme instead of just... Not I, the one who started shooting at them. Yeah, not... It's right for the character. I'm not sure it's a theme I actually believe. I don't think... I'm not really convinced you have to kill the Gemadar, but it's very true to Alcar Dovan that that would be the lesson of the season. 
Yeah, not so much a not so much an arc. It's just some an over an overlay a little bit. Here's your moral: kill the bad guys. Uh, pregnant pause. You know what? To hell with you! <laughs> the van fired at Sora G. Sora G drove out of the way and fired at Petronas. Sora G's shot hit. Oh. Only Sora G and Alcorn remained on their feet. There's a whole three sentences of exposition for the narrator there that are gone, mm -hmm. which was a good choice. Yeah. You missed. Yeah, it's really. Yeah, just keep busy moving as much as we can. Dovan did so and saw that he was standing on top of a power conduit at the exact spot where Sora G had fired. Yeah. The conduit was Let's see, like there, red. he could have he could have said something like, it was about to explode. Boy, that's a uh, I'm on a power conduit. Why is that glowing? Yeah, that's a that that hole looks really deep. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. The ear ringing is nice. supposed to be standing up during that, but I, it's hard to portray that in sound effects. Dovan to Excelsior. Premier, are you... Dovan to Excelsior. Hmm. Premier. Premier, can you hear me? Premier, you've been badly hurt. No kidding. But you have access codes. I need those codes <sighs> and we're both going to die. Good bones, Joyce. Good bones. Damn it, Premier! In his focus on reviving Premier Betranon, preventing the explosion that would kill all four of them, Lieutenant Commander Dovan failed to notice two critical things happening around him. First, the glowing pillar had suddenly turned alabaster white, brightening the room considerably. Second, there was someone coming up behind him, wielding a large stone. Someone who had no right at all to be conscious right now, and who, in a very real sense... Let's meet the big bad! ...noticed her only at the last second, as she swung the rock directly at his head. Jehovah. Oh! <laughs> oh, that's gonna leave a mark. Yeah, he's having a bad day. Lieutenant, your eyes aren't supposed to be green. And they don't usually crackle with energy either. I hey, put me down. Whoops. I take it you're not Asuka Yubari then. The host body is pleasant, but not relevant. You are going to die. It happens to the best of us. You're the owner of this vessel. We are. Why are you doing this? Because we have waited 8,000 years to do it. Bad answer! <laughs> you semi-corporeals always forget to watch out for the body. <laughs> okay, now I have a phaser and you have a rock. So let's talk. I presume you're the one behind all this. Yes, 
Who are you? What are you called? We are many things in many tongues. We are the many. The myriad. The numerous. We are legion. For we are many. What are you doing here? Oh. We crashed. Obviously. What have you been doing since then? Manipulating events. Why? For the war efforts. The future war. Yes, there is a foreshadow for you. The Valandrin used to be pacifists, vegetarians. What did you do to them? We found their ancestors and whispered in their minds. Taught them our ways. Tested them. Forged them. Today, well, we sent down this obelisk and we... No. <laughs> Interesting standard of beauty. 2001 oh, reference here for anybody who doesn't get it. Dovin just referenced the screw tape letters, which is surprising. Even today, we destroy the weaklings. Even today, does this make us a god? What about these catacombs? He doesn't usually like the human things, but I guess someone showed him C.S. Lewis at some point. Well, I come off of my own headcanon as to why he used Latin for his super secret uh, passwords. <laughs> What's your headcanon? Oh, that he was educated by Jesuits. <laughs> he does show up at that monastery at the end of season five. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was just because that was the language they offered at school and he didn't want to learn Spanish. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, space Jesuits of the 24th century is a. I hope you're. That's fun. Yeah, that. That would. I don't know. Maybe. Question. Maybe there's the a. Wasting? Maybe there's a vignette there somewhere. I am wasting. Maybe having a philosophical Socratic dialogue with a with a Jesuit. Jesuit. Uh, that's, that's a challenge, professor. Okay, yeah. Last one. Why exactly are you Probably if we see Dovan interact with religion again, it'll be in a vignette about him burning down that monastery. I. Dovan could feel a new and horrifying pain begin to yeah, well, was, his body from Yeah, you never ask why they're telling you something because I learned that in James Bond, you know. <laughs> because I'm going to kill you anyway, and I just want to let you. It works out well for you. Yeah. 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 He did a good job screaming that arg. That could have come out really silly. When I did that myself in the room, writing the script, it sounded dumb. And I was like, hopefully Larry's a better actor than me. No, this is... And he was. So that worked out. There are two minds in her body. We can't put two minds in the We're same gonna have to delete the delete the myriad in a transporter There's beam. There's no time to worry about that, Alex. If we don't restart the materialization process, we'll lose the real Yubari and everyone else we're trying to beam up. I I understand. Removing the second signal. Get a medical team down here. Yeah. That's such an ignoble way for the big bad to die. 
Yeah. Come on, Eight thousand years manipulating the Valandrin and just dies in a transporter beam because yeah. Lorak edited you out. A few moments sooner, yes. and it would have been an anti climax. Kind of an exorcism. It's later, and you'd have been yeah, it is. I'm <laughs> going to collapse. The script there just says, he does so. Yeah. Sacrabite. <laughs> Transporter room, double that emergency. I repeat, two medical and again, emergencies that's in the Again, not a scene that I edited. That was a very, very clever way to do that. That body drop is... is it sounds good. It sounds like two body drops. Because yeah. it sounds like he hits his knees and then he hits his head. Yeah, he sort of hits the knees and face plants. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very effective uh, body fall. And I know how difficult it is to string those together sometimes. Yeah, body falls are... Amazingly difficult. Green, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it fades away. After I've got like second. two, well, and I tend to just wise. use them. Yeah. Get those people on but if you use it too often, people start to pick up on it. And they're like, "Hey, is that your Wilhelm so, scream?" Yeah. I don't want that. So yeah, it's, it's tough. In that case, nurse, I need twenty cc's of the Simon serum to keep Alcar stable. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Lieutenant. We'll take it from here. Mm-hmm. Well, what now, Alex? You know... Uh, maybe we should get to, get to work? One way or another. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're done. Yeah. Let's head back to engineering and see where we stand. This came out in July of 2008, so we've been working on season one for about a year and a half by this point. And set the stage ah. for long-lasting seasons. In case anybody yeah. doesn't get it, the the, the season Wall, doesn't correspond with any set period of time. Yeah, I mean, the idea at the time was we'd do a season a year, but <laughs> that didn't happen. Uh, but it just felt so good finishing this episode. I remember how a profoundly satisfying feeling it was um, because we did it. We told the whole story. From beginning to end, and I remember, I don't remember who actually made, produced the scene, but I remember saying a lot of times, like, let's just make this as triumphant as possible, because we did it, and we all deserve to pat ourselves on the back. We survived our first season, we're going on to newer and better things, let's pull out all the good music and just really enjoy it. Strange happenings on Valandria since our showdown. Premier Betrana, both as legitimate ruler of Valandria, as well as the person who wasn't trying to kill us all day, has been given official custody of Sorin G. It was expected that Betrana would have her publicly executed in order yeah. to quell the rebellion. That is, yeah, Sorin G didn't die. She contacted yeah. the rival clans. I had forgotten that as well. Victory. Yeah, I thought she died. But yeah, she's. For some reason, all the fight has gone out of them. I have my suspicions as to why... The destruction of the Myriad has, uh... certain the Premier nor her prisoner believed me when I told... Saved her life, I guess. Lived inside the yeah, they started reverting back to Lieutenant back to their original type. Yep. Although, as we find out later, they didn't, didn't completely take... They're not all the way there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a slow process. Not now be at all surprised to learn that within five or ten years from now, all the Landrin had become vegetarians once again. 
Well, I guess listen only happens three years after this, so maybe we get two more years. The lantern will be totally vegetarian. Mm. Morning Could after be, six yeah. months, sir. Hmm. What's the damage? Well, sir, when I saw the Nacelles, I just about screamed. Turned out someone tried to pull an L4 with a Sovereign-class starship. Don't look at <laughs> yeah, you were. Uh, Bottom line, we can't talk warp four. The trip back to the gateway is going to take a few weeks. Rats. I was hoping we'd be back in time for the crew to have a Christmas shore leave. They've certainly earned it. Afraid not, sir. But we should make it back by New Year's if our repair estimates hold out. New Year's already? Seems like There's the correct year. Yeah, that uh, is that is so that's interesting, but that's you just yes. You yeah, know, you just take I'm it as one of the things that happens and just move yep. on. Had some problems. Yep, I've never moved on. It's been thirteen years. I still am mad. I screwed that up. Um, they do make it back in time for Christmas, thanks to the Sizemore helping them out. Plan the two of you came up with was terrific. I doubt I'd have ever thought of it myself, and it was a brilliant way to save lives while still respecting the time laws. But if you're ever in a situation where you're faced yeah. with a decision between regulations and lives... I do like Dovan just totally undercutting the Temporal Prime Directive after yeah. Lorak went to the bat for it. Yeah. Utilitarianism at, at work here. Colin Heyman uh, reminded me of this line uh, when we were working on... Um, it must have been Ambear Witness, I, it, and I don't think it was uh, uh, Eula. It was Eula, because it, the, this comes up again in his argument with Lorak about whether or not to help the man. Yeah. Uh, and that was a really good pull, because this is a very foundational moment in their relationship. I really do just hope it's an alternate future. Yeah, it's not. Possibility among yeah. many. I think, sir, that whether or not that timeline comes No, it's going to come to pass, gang. Novikov's no. self-consistency of principle applies. Yes. Listen to your own dialogue, Lorak. The rabbit hole's a lot deeper than we thought. And we're going to have there you to go. way down before the end. That's how it seems to me, Commander. Well... I'm sure Captain Cortez will know what Uh-huh. <laughs> no, she won't. Oh, I've seen enough for Landry for this week. Uh, I have a devil of a report yeah, for you, Your problems are just starting, Dovan. <laughs> oh, boy, you poor idiot. <sighs> yeah. He thinks he's going on a mission of exploration after this. Commander Dovan. Premier. You seem to be recovering well. Your doctors are... Excellent practitioners of their art. I hope they I have been rewarded with many husbands. Oh, yeah, I love that line. I'll look into it. Dovan, I hope you understand why I can make no treaty with your people today. I had hoped that you might change your mind. It is a new day for the Philandrian people. By the tribe, so much has happened in so little time. The Oracle gone, the Old Order overturned, the Wasting mm. come again, then vanished. Other than that, it was just a normal few days in Melandria. It a long time before we yeah. remember who we are, or who we're meant to be. But know this, Commander Dovan, we do not forget our heroes. Come... 
to us again someday and we will see what there is to discuss of treaties. Or you could save me from an assassination attempt. You know, either way. Well, that would be good, yeah. I still don't know what Incureset Tomorrow Tolana Kaimi means. Don't look so confused, but it, is the it has never left my na- my head. I can say that to anyone at any time. Of course, in our whole and they will look at me blankly because no one listens to this show <laughs> would not recognize a Philandrian blessing if given that on the street. Uh, okay. That's probably the right reaction to that weird story. Yeah. Bridge. And here comes Dovan trying to do his Lieutenant, lay in a course for uh, original catchphrase, go. Yeah. And it's his last attempt at it, because Larry wrote me after this episode and said, hey, this doesn't work in audio maybe it worked in prose but it doesn't work as an audio drama line and he was right so he brainstormed for a while and came up with uh, hit it which promptly got stolen by uh, Captain Pike somebody Pike I think he was punch it wasn't he that was I think Pike uh, somebody used it in uh, Discovery Oh, yeah. Well, that took them 10 years. So, yeah. I, really, they should pay me royalties. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Discovery. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And I think it was Pike, but I'm not sure. Eh, that sounds right. Hit it. Episode executive produced and adapted for audio by James Haney. Co-producer Alex Keats. Post-production by Gary Colbaum and James McGowan. Good Alex yeah, like theme music. And Jeremy Michaels. Yeah, the end of Star Trek Six. Just the with everyone signing the, mm-hmm. the screen. Yeah. Bum, bum. Okay. But but wait. Ah yes. Because there's a post credit scene. This has been an Excelsior yeah. production. I said well, last Easter, note. Easter egg here. Yeah. Have you heard this? Let's see. Go ahead. General Brahms. Brahms has been... I, it, Julian was cast in 2007, and now he's just been cooling his hero, heels for a year, waiting to come back on the scene. Syracuse. Yep. And it's like, ah, here we go. Yes, sir. I'm amazed that we have managed to hang on to Julian for, for this long, because, I mean, it's just... You should have hit it big by now. Well, you would you would think. I mean, it's just it just shows you that it's a tough business out there. Oh, yeah. Trying to make it in Hollywood is really hard. Yes. Excelsior has shown me that. We've had some very talented people who tried to go up, and some of them made it. And of course, you and I know what those scans represent. Others have it, and it doesn't seem to be about talent. Well, not always. Yeah, not always. Yeah. There's been a breach, General. The Excelsior should be finished at Valandria by tomorrow, and when we return, you have to... Cortez had just been a little bit clearer about this. Measures. We could have avoided all of season two. <laughs> and most of season three. In person. Oh. Cortez yeah, but that wouldn't be any fun. Yeah. yeah, she was speaking in code. It was hard. General. Signal to Doc Cruz. The renegade needs to be ready by morning. Right away, sir. Are we going somewhere else, sir? Yes. Brems out. Yeah. Brems out. 
Our first use of the spooky Brahms music. Yeah. On behalf of the entire oh, there's a thank you. Crew, thank you for listening to the first season of Star Trek Excelsior. Until our return this fall, may the great birds smile on your planet. Did we return that fall? We did return that fall. We had an episode out three months later. Star Trek, which remains the property of CBS. Gosh, those were the days. Yep. There we are. And there we have it. Down the rabbit hole, all the way and back out again. And uh, I hope everybody stayed with us and enjoyed that because I really enjoyed hearing it. And it's just, uh, you just hear so many things that happened from the beginning uh, where we just were finding our way and we started finding our way. <laughs> we actually yeah. we actually started getting an idea of what we were trying to do and how we were going to do it. And uh, not a bad a, episode. Not a bad episode at all. And uh, you know, some things that could have been better, but that's the story oh, yeah. of, of you put on a show and one of the things about doing a retrospective is you're always gonna say, Boy, I wish we'd have done this or wish we hadn't done that or whatever. Right. But such is life. I hope and uh, people have been remarkably generous in their praise of of uh, especially these early episodes, and yes. uh, that's very gratifying. It always warms my heart when someone says, "I liked your whole show, even that first season." Yeah, and uh, you know, it's uh, well, there are people who like the first and second seasons of Star Trek: The Next Generation. So there you go. <laughs> I'm sure that warms the heart of those involved there too, <laughs> or maybe maybe not. You never know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but we thank you, James. Thank you. It was a pleasure you, uh, pleasure uh, doing another one of these. And we'll do another one at some point when the spirit moves and we have the time. And uh, we hope that everyone um, will stay with us uh, for yet another season of, yeah. of Star Trek, Starship, I should say, is Excelsior. And uh, I've got to get back to casting emails. We've got yeah. a lines deadline coming up in two days. And uh, yep, I just cast, I cast 22 people on uh, Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> They're all getting back to me and saying whether they can do the parts or not. And that oh. reminds me that I've got to get get my lines in. So, so do I. We'll have those have those in very shortly. I promise. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, uh, and thank you're you. not the one I'm really worried about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I I think the show will go on uh, if if I stretch it a little bit, but we'll be fine. Yeah. So so thank you, James. And thank you all thank for you. listening. And uh, we'll see you next time on a on another uh, commentary on another episode of Starship Excelsior. Take care. Good night, everyone. Bye bye.